The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! This is important stuff. As I as I as I sort of learn and go on about uh, podcasting and sound quality and stuff, I, I'm starting to notice the difference between how these uh, how these uh, whiskered men uh, affect the sound quality when they're too close to the mics. And uh... yep, I I have this thing where I listen to my old episodes and go, my God, that sounds terrible. Like you know, that that's just well, how did how did I let that go out? And now now I'm like, and now the one I do today, or, you know, this weekend. In like three months, I'm gonna to listen to that and go, "Well, that sounds awful. Wow, how could I possibly do that?" But then I'm like, "I'm an amateur. Nobody pays for this shit, so who cares?" You know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and to uh, to rip off a phrase from uh, Kevin Smith, uh, I'm I'm all, all about uh, tickling your uh, ear pussies. So uh, <laughs> if some of these if some of these whiskers can creep through the headphones or the earbuds or whatever and, and get that done, then that's fine. Um, I'm one of the guys that hates the sound of their voice. So I hate the sound of my voice. Everybody so hate hates the sound of their voice until you edit like sixty hours of it, and then you just get used to it. It's just a thing. Like, it's just a thing. At a certain point, you just stop caring. You know, I mean, like, believe me. Paul, yes, I, of course, I sound like an idiot, but like yeah. people are listening, so you know whatever. Believe me, Paul. I've hated the sound of your voice since I met you, but since That's I've true. been editing you on the podcast, it's just like white noise in the background. It, now. It's, it, it, it puts me to that. sleep. Like, I, I sleep like a baby. I just put Paul on loop and. <laughs> And when you get used to editing someone for a while, you get used to their verbal patterns, and then you just know where to edit. It's just a, it's just one of those like, oh yeah, yeah no, like I edit Shana now, and I can just look at the waveforms and know where her ums are. Like it's not, <laughs> yeah, it's not right. even a question. I just go, oh, that one needs to go out, and that one needs to go out. Like yeah, I, I can listen to it just to check, but at the same time, I'm like. I don't even have to anymore. It's just uh, I, I can look at it and say, okay, here's where Daniel's gonna say like, here's where he here's where he's gonna say yeah no, yeah no like, yeah no. And... <laughs> I'm really bad at that because I edit myself and I go, oh god, this is terrible. Why would I do that? But you know, if, if people only knew how bad we really sounded. And, and <laughs> right. uh, but, but Lee, was it like you said? You, you just you look where the fucking block of words stop. And that's mm-hmm. where you cut with me. Yeah. Blah 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 blah, blah 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 Stop. Blah 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 blah. Mm. That's easy. So I'm going to leave this all in, but uh, we're back for another episode of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, a movie podcast, and I'm joined by Paul and Daniel tonight. So uh, how are you gentlemen doing tonight? Reasonably drunk. <laughs> I, I know. I know. Daniel has just done a bottle of wine, and now he's downing some beer. Nice. I know Paul. I, I had a, I had an old bottle of late harvest Riesling that an ex girlfriend had left me about a year ago. I didn't have a lot of beer in the house, so I just drank it. So, nice. yay, we're doing right. our last episode of Jello Month, and I'm I'm kind of toasted. Yeah, and congratulations. Yeah, uh, but that, that is correct. We're on our uh, our last uh, episode of our sort of month long look at Italian horror directors. Uh, next week there's going to be a little special episode, but we're essentially going to be taking a week off after this. But uh, that'll be fun. We'll get into more more into that uh, later. 
But uh, we're going to be looking at two movies today. It's going to be um, Nightmare City and Torso. We'll get into those here pretty soon, though. Uh, I think first we'll just go to the listener comments. We got two from Greg, of course. Greg. He decided to come back strong after failing us uh, the previous week. Okay, Public so, shaming is a thing. Public shaming is a thing. Greg, you need to comment on every episode is six hours or less after it goes out. He, he needs to basically be sitting at YouTube waiting for the damn thing to upload or sitting at Podbean for the thing to uh, get posted there. Just keep refreshing, Greg. Just keep refreshing. So he left this on our uh, Black Sabbath uh, episode. Uh, he said he finally got a chance to watch these movies, thought they were both okay. I think I preferred Black Sabbath a little bit more. And of course, the other one was Bay of Blood. Of the three stories in Black Sabbath, I like the telephone one the best, followed by the vampire and ghost story. And Paul beat me to it, to the nudity report, but Bay of Blood had a nice scene with a full frontal. From a distance, Black Sabbath disappointed in that department, especially with some of the attractive women featured within. That's true, but at the same time, it was like early 60s. Uh, Italian horror as opposed to late 60s and then early 70s. So there might have been, I don't know if there was still a difference at that point. I, don't, I can't recall too many movies of that period from uh, Italy coming out with nudity in them. I might be wrong, but uh, I think there might have been a bit of more of a censorship issue there. Yeah, it started as, oh my god, you're showing some ankle, and then the next thing it's cunnilingus. <laughs> there we go. I mean, it's, it's like the general, the the gradual general uh, sex light, sexualization of like the Hammer films, where they they started out with, oh, here's a woman with a slightly heavier bosom coming out of her dress, and then you get to like the Vampire Lovers, where it's just full on lesbian vampire sex. He, he said of our uh, last episode with uh, contamination, and then he said contamination is kind of like. If Alien was set back on Earth shortly after the initial egg encounter and didn't feature the actual alien until the end, it's a fun movie and even followed the old Italian movie trope that if there is two male protagonists in the film, only one woman between them, one of the guys will die in the final few moments. Reminds me of uh, Zombie and City of the Living Dead, he said in that regards. He said, as mentioned, that shower scene really set up to show skin, and then for some reason it didn't. It would have made sense plot-wise if she covered that egg with everything she could. To that, I say, boo earns. <laughs> he said, I actually enjoyed uh, Hell of the Living Dead uh, more, though. I can certainly understand Daniel's reasons for not liking it, and it really isn't a good movie, but I like Italian exploitation films and thought this was a fun movie. It had a stupid plot, a cast of characters that is neither likable nor well-developed, gratuitous violence, and nudity, lots of filler footage that makes little to no sense, and yes, it does exploit other races. So in my books, it does what it set out to do. Uh, <laughs> my it's exactly an exploitation you're, film. You're yeah. right. It's set out to be horrifyingly racist, and it achieved it. Congratulations. And completely incoherent for lack of uh, filler footage. So, yes. Yeah. It uh, set out to what it achieved to do, yes. So did Triumph of the Will, by the way. Just, just putting that out there. <laughs> Although I think Triumph of the Will was better shot than the Hell of the Living Dead. Oh, 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 oh I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah. If you ask me which is the better film, Hell of the Living Dead or Triumph of the Will, it's Triumph of the Will all the way. And I'll even throw in the uh, Birth of a Nation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he says it isn't quite competent to be a good horror movie like Zombie and not quite gritty enough to be a good exploitation film like Cannibal Holocaust. It kind of sits in this weird middle ground, but then again, I'm comparing it to some of the benchmarks in the genre. 
which isn't really fair. The nude scene in the middle is quite nice, though, especially with the close-up of the boobs, regardless of who they belong to. <laughs> At some point, it just doesn't matter. They're they're completely dehumanized, so it's 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 just like, oh, look, boobs. And if you can set it up where you ejaculate right at that moment, you're fine. Like it's just like, oh, there's, there's, no, 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 there we go. Although, although I mean, depending on how long it takes, you you, you got to start early, so you, you got all this footage of those ugly fucking commandos driving in a jeep and stuff. Before I mean, you I mean, can, can I can I admit this? Like when I was like 13, I used to do exactly that. Like I knew exactly where in the film the boobs were. And so I like I'd plan like okay okay gotta get hard gotta get hard while I'm watching okay bullshit 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 boobs ah there we go if you ejaculate at a time when there's not the boobs on screen you're maybe not heterosexual the thing is I've moved past being 13 and some people haven't but that's a that's another conversation <laughs> I I just I just skipped that problem I ejaculate all through the movie no matter where yeah. we are and it makes it easy yeah that's fair that's fair. Really, really, you're more mature than I was at 13, Paul. I some, some, that. some people are water pistol, some people are geyser. That's all there is yeah, to it. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm kind of a super soaker, really. Like, like call it one. <laughs> a gusher. Mount St. Helens, or yeah, Mount St. Helens. You, That's a good. I was gonna say, old, I was gonna say old, old faithful, but you know, Mount St. Helens that works too. I am <laughs> kind of drunk. It's this is awesome. We've Why don't I do this every episode? <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else anyone wants to add to his comments, or uh, do we want to move on? Do you do you have any grievances you want to bring out, Daniel, from his previous comments, where he was he was sort of begrudgingly agreeing with you a couple episodes ago? So, so uh, <laughs> I was gonna bring this up in the uh, what we've been watching, but uh, I did listen to the episode. I did watch Tenebrae and Deep Red in preparation mm-hmm. for this because. It was either to watch those two films or do something productive and, like, fuck that fuck shit. That. So um, <laughs> I did watch those two films, and then I started listening to the podcast episode you guys recorded. And, A, you guys are way more entertaining without me. I don't know why you keep inviting me on. And, B, I listened to Greg's comments, and he says, begrudgingly, I hate to agree with Daniel. And, you know, that's kind of what I feel like my role is on this podcast, to be the, like, person, like, shitting on and, like, raining on the parade of the, the, the fun of, like, just talking about shit in a uh, bullshit way. I'm the one going, like, oh, look, let me uh, let me bring some politics and some uh, sexual justice and stuff into this uh, podcast. And well, wait talk, kill talk about women. Yeah, no, it's a thing. It's a thing. And I, and I understand that. I, I've, I recently was accused on my, on my other podcast, which we'll talk about at the end, of being um, a little bit a little bit overly political. And you know what? Uh, if the if the big criticism of me is that I'm too political, I'm I'm okay with that. As long as Lee right. keeps inviting me on, I'm gonna be here Don't and worry, I'm gonna Donald. keep talking about what I want to talk Donald, about. So Donald Trump, it's okay. Yeah, we keep <laughs> he keeps inviting you, so you must be doing something right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I don't. Really, I don't, if he even didn't, watch, I don't even watch the movies, and I, he keeps inviting me. Yeah, if, if I keep inviting Paul, then you don't really have a high standard. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I, I really think it's uh, he keeps inviting me so that his numbers don't get too high. Because if he if he if he he's really gotta, afraid he'll get too popular and then get a big head. But like, he stay keeps inviting me, and people like turn it off when they're and like, oh fuck that shit, you know. So you know that that's kind of my role is to like. Di- I'm the cadmium rod in the nuclear reactor that is this podcast, and I control the uh, the the uh, reaction to make sure it's not too uh, powerful. 
That's that's my that's my goal. Interesting. So you essentially you're the cock ring of this podcast. You don't let it get too big and explode. Well, that's not really how cock rings work, but we can we can move yeah. on from that. Perhaps I fucked the metaphor up a little too much, but yeah. There well, we the go. cock ring like uh, keeps the blood in the cock, so yeah. that it remains hard I, regardless I, of you know I, the the pleasure of the man. So it's it's sort of like I mean it depends on the actual level of restriction, mm-hmm. but like at a certain point, really what that is is a degree of like cock and ball torture. So if you say I'm the cock and ball torture of this podcast, then I would agree. But <laughs> well, not, man, and I was, was going to say you 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 keep us at a certain level. You keep us at a certain uh, degree of pleasure. Yeah, no, no. I, I, time. I, I'd like to th- I'd like to think that. Yeah. So, so are you the French tickler of the podcast? I don't. Understand. I, I could, French ticklers <laughs> are bullshit because, like, really, the only thing to do is to play with the click, guys. Like, that's that's just the strategy. Cunnilingus. Like, cunnilingus <laughs> fingers, hands. I mean, I promise you, if you're if you're leading with your cock, you're doing it wrong. We're that's coming around full circle to Italian horror. We're gonna rename this podcast. Uh, it it must be sexual ed on site or something like that. Exactly. It's sure. called lead with your tongue dot com. Lead with. <laughs> uh, move on to your uh, thoughts on uh, on Tenebrae and Deep Red, there, Daniel. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah. So when I first uh, when you when you were talking about Giallo, I I'd never seen a Giallo film really. Like honestly, um, and I'm like I'm down for whatever. Give me the titles, give me a link or whatever. I'll, I'll watch whatever and talk about it. I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, I had kind of thought Jalo was sort of a crime fiction, you know, so sort of like uh, detectives going around uh, solving crimes, people killing people, etc. And most of the films we've watched have been more kind of supernatural, or they've been more kind of zombies. I mean, you know, it's it's a big genre. Well, like, well, the the genre is strictly pretty much like murder mysteries with like sexual. Elements and sleaze, like you, you can't consider like uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of getting that maybe you had a misconception that we're like lumping zombie Italian zombie movies and stuff into it. We're not. I'm just saying, Giallo is like the two the two films we did with like Argento, whereas like Nightmare City is not Giallo. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I mean, like my so my interpretation of the word Giallo was basically correct. It's just that you're taking a slightly broader view in terms of like the films that we're watching. We're looking at yeah, more, like, we're looking more, at more, Italian. more Italian horror, which is fine. So really, the week that I should have been on was the Argento week because those are the films that were probably some of the best of this and the most oh, yeah. probably Jalo. Big picture, I watched both of these films after having watched the other two, all of it today. In this, uh, so I had a day full of Giallo uh, films. Deep Red was the last one I watched, and honestly, I didn't pay much attention to it because I was just kind of exhausted from it. I was playing with yeah. the dog and drinking. Deep, Re- Deep Red's one of the ones where you have to actually like pay attention the most to. I, that's that's yeah. the funny thing, yeah. I liked David Hemming's performance. Um, I know him from uh, he has a small part in Barbarella, and I kept uh-huh. going, "Where do I know this guy from?" And then I looked him up. And then I thought, that guy's probably in Doctor Who at some point, but he's not. So, like, um, <laughs> it's not that I could find. I knew I knew the actor. I liked I liked what I saw. It was an interesting film. I have very few thoughts about it just because it was just kind of like, it was pretty. Um, Argento was a brilliant director. I think that's, that's really what I took from it. I was just letting the direction wash over me for both of these films. I think after watching all these other ones, just seeing, like, artistic camera moves was kind of like, oh, hold on, we're watching a real movie here. 
on. It look was, out! It was pretty awesome. Uh, look at look at this. Look look at that artistic shot of the sawdust falling on the piano. And sure, he should have fucking noticed that, but maybe he's like focused <laughs> on his uh, writing of the, the the notes and stuff. There's a there's a lot of really good direction. Um, and I would I would love to talk about that maybe at another another point. Do another Argento, and I'll actually watch it and uh, review it with you guys. Deep Red. I could not follow the plot at all at that point, but I, I overall liked the film. Tenebrae was was brilliant in a lot of ways. I thought Tenebrae was was uh, really wonderful. There's some, some some stuff that I thought was kind of silly, mostly involving a dog biting a girl and leaving yeah, ketchup yeah, on her. You know, that, that, um, that sequence goes on way too long. And... It goes on. It goes on way too long, and it's just shot in a like. I'm willing to accept that that like they're not actually gonna have a dog like bite a girl, and they're not gonna do a gore effect. I mean, that's just. I get they're not gonna do that. But at the same time, like when you see like a shot of a dog biting a girl's arm from like looking up at the dog, and then you cut back to the girl, and she's got both of her hands free, and she's like playing with the dog or like yeah. like fighting with the dog, you kind of go, my suspension of disbelief is now lost. I am I am perfectly fine with the conception of like yes, this is going to kind of be a cheap effect shot. But then you have to like at least sell me on that cheap effect shot. That's sort of the, the way funny I'm thing going. is though, in like half the time Italian horror, you're just lucky if they do a cut shot and it's the same fucking style dog. Yeah. Right. Or, or, or film the same like, film. Style. Doberman, it's a Rottweiler. It's a Doberman. It's a Rottweiler. It's a. Do- I liked Tenebrae a lot. I have uh, a lot of uh, thoughts about like the metafictional nature and the. Uh, I don't know. Metafiction goes a long way for me. I, I did like the just the overall structure of it. I liked the the themes. Uh, there's some doubling going on. I was reading kind of the Wikipedia page, and there's some there's some really interesting stuff. And I uh, I did start to listen to the podcast episode you guys recorded, but I didn't get to as far as like you guys talked about Tenebrae, so I'm not sure what you guys talked about. But uh, I thought it was a really really interesting film. I think it's probably the best made of the the what eight that we viewed for this podcast. Mm. Um. It's not my favorite, and I'll talk about that uh, here shortly. But um, I, I did, uh, I did really like Tenebrae, and that's probably um, one that I would, I would revisit with a more critical eye because I did kind of watch it in a more casual, just like okay, we'll throw it on and just see what I like about it. But I, I, I did, I did really appreciate the film, and I think Argento is a really nice director. You can see kind of why Argento is the one that like is the name that people remember. Like if they're even not fans of Giallo. Like, I knew Argento's name as a producer, if nothing else, but I knew it was a director, and I can definitely see why, like, his is the name where you go, well, Argento's, like, the Giallo guy. Like, yeah, I could yeah. see that just in, just in, like, watching the films without even, like, paying that much attention to them. Like, oh, no, this is a well-made film. And I feel like I've been grading on a curve on a lot of these things, like, even back, all the way back to the slashers, kind of talking about all this stuff, and, like, it's all, you know... The, these are films designed to uh, fulfill the audience of like, oh yeah, we're going to uh, cut people up and show you blood, and that's great, and I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I'm not necessarily the audience for that, but I don't have a problem with that. You know, Argento is doing something different. Argento is really like trying to make like a real film. If there was one episode I wish I had not missed, it was that episode. Um, I would much rather have have done that than to watch Hell of the Living Dead for this podcast. <laughs> I think at some point we'll uh, we'll revisit the Italian series, and what we'll do is we'll uh, do uh, the Bird with the Crystal Plumage and Cat O' Nine Tales. I think we'll get and you'll you'll see two other examples of great sort of jolly films. So. I would I would love to watch more Argento films and uh, watch we'll them with you do, guys. Uh, and, um, we'll have to do Dark Ripper then too. 
And yeah, they will do do New York Ripper, which in some ways is like the uh, the opposite side of the coin. <laughs> it's it's more it's more in uh, line with with some of the stuff we were doing. This but time. but we're gonna, we're gonna have to do something like that to make him like Fulci a little bit. I liked Cat in the Brain, but I, I feel like I've gotten a really good sense of like again going back to the slashers because this has definitely been an education for me. I'm sorry, I'm talking way too much, but um, this has definitely been an education for me in terms of like understanding like the stuff that you guys love. This isn't my genre, but I love kind of getting invited in to talk about it, and like I love the fact that like we have at least a tiny audience that's basically Greg listening. <laughs> to me, being an idiot, um, talking about a, these things that you guys love, I, I appreciate that. So you know, he's a, he's a t- he's a tiny audience, but he's a loud motherfucker. He is a loud motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> especially in person. Yeah. So I guess we could move on. Uh, is there anything you guys have uh, seen in the last week or so that you want to talk about? Uh, go to you first, Dan, if you want to. I, uh, I I really haven't watched anything else aside from those. I did watch How to Train Your Dragon one night because I just I love that film, so I watched. Pick up. You know. I would I could talk about that film for an hour by myself, honestly. Yeah. So you know, if you ever want to do an animated film, I will totally do How to Train Your Dragon. It's all just this. You just gestured to all of me. <laughs> we could do an animated month or something like that. I'm I'm up for that. Sometime in 2016 or 2019, really. It's kind of <laughs> 29. If we're still doing it this this at 2019, that'd be something, man. Come on, Lee. That's really, it. what are you what are you gonna be doing with your life besides talking to us about shitty movies? Well, no, movies? I mean that's that's how I want my life to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, your 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 top goal, like your big plan, is in like five years we're still talking about shitty movies. If that's I could just have this forever. <laughs> <laughs> really, what you're saying is this is the peak of your life, Lee. Like, this yeah. Is, right. um, well, I mean, you know, I'm I'm in my I'm in my mid to late 30s, so that probably is the peak of my life. I'm, it's all downhill from here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all, all I'm saying is you need to get laid more. That's that's kind of the the thing. Yeah, definitely. Then I probably wouldn't have a podcast, though. So I mean, <laughs> oh, well, there's that. Yeah. So you, Paul, have you seen anything last week or bought anything that you want to talk about? I just watched a lot of uh, Donald uh, Daffy Duck's Quackbusters and Fraggle Rock with the kids. That's all I've been doing. <laughs> Quackbusters, man. I man, I have a I like story that. about Quackbusters. Can I can I tell my story about Quackbusters? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> my God, this episode is crazy. I was eight years old and I was watching Daffy Duck Quackbusters, and my mom is sitting there, and like halfway through that movie, I like turned to her and I said. So Santa Claus isn't real, right? <laughs> and I have no idea why I picked that moment, like in the middle of Daffy Duck Quackbusters, to just like be like, so I've analyzed this, Mother, and uh, I've decided that Santa Claus isn't like a real thing. And she got really like sad for me that like I had lost this like thing of the innocence of my childhood. And for me, I was like, no, 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 I figured this out. Like, like I just, like, I solved this, you know, yeah. just yeah. you like trying to protect me of this. Santa Claus isn't real. I know this. At least I strongly suspect this. You've since confirmed it. Now let me go back and watch Daffy Duck Quackbusters, which is more interesting to me. And yet, she wanted to like talk about this for like hours and like wanted to be <laughs> sure that I was uh, not traumatized by this thing of like realizing that Santa Claus wasn't real. It's like, I'm like, no, it's no, no, like... no. Daffy Duck Quackbusters, which I'd seen before, you know, like I had it on video cassette. 
And I'm yeah. like, no, no, this is more interesting to me right now than talking yeah. about Claws, So Honestly, the reality that I know that a creepy old man isn't cre- like breaking into my house at night is a good thing. So I'm fine with it. <laughs> right, right. So, it, was, it was very much that moment for me, you know. So about five years too soon, you sort of hit that sweet spot with Ray Bradbury's fiction where he always talked about uh, the, the last years of childhood before innocence is lost and you become an adult. I grew up in Alabama, you know, and I grew up like, you know, very uh, interested in science and uh, reason and skepticism and all that sort of thing in Alabama. And uh, it really was this sort of thing where I came to that fairly to that. Like, I don't even think that like eight years old is like early for that, but I definitely think that like eight years old was like the fact that I came to it like as a rationalist and like sit, like actually ask the question. So. Santa Claus totally isn't real. I think it tells you a lot about like who you, I was you, as a child. You know, you're the guy that's been killing everybody's mood since you were eight. Yes, no, it really is. <laughs> like I, I have been killing the dreams of people I cared about since I was in single digits for like almost thirty years at this point. So uh, this guy is serious. This is sadly, serious. Sadly, I've been pretty much the same. <laughs> so. <laughs> And at that and point, I, I just found out about it last year, so I'm not anywhere near you guys. So now, so now you, I was already growing chest hair at that point. Like that, that should tell you another thing about me. So you know, that's what happened to me last year. Yeah, no, I get yeah, that. I'm, I get that. I'm a I'm a late bloomer. Let's just say you're, that you're like 30 years behind me. I get that. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not 38. Come on now. <laughs> Come on. Now. Yeah. All right, I think we've exhausted that topic. I, 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 was, I, I myself have not really seen anything of consequence this week. I mean, I, I watched a movie called Cunnilingus. No, it was, it was some stupid horror movie. It was The Attack of Cunnilingus. No, Lumberjack Man. That's what it was called. It, it, it was. Um, Is that similar to Winnebago Man, but with a lumberjack? No, yeah. it, uh, like I mentioned in the previous episode, I watched a movie called The Final Girls, which is a sort of meta. Uh, horror comedy kind of thing that sort of deconstructed slasher movies and yeah. did it in a really cool way. So I was kind of looking for other stuff that was kind of similar because it was like I was on sort of a slasher kick, slasher comedy kind of kick thing. So I was like, oh, maybe this one will be good because it looks like it is because it's got, um, what's his name, fucking Adam Sessler who's, you know, big in the video games. He was on the uh, that, that fucking video game channel there for quite a long time, Attack of the Show and all that shit. Oh, that guy, yeah. Yeah, so it, it looked like it was supposed to be a pretty funny The guy who's sitting next to Olivia Munn, is that the guy? Yeah, the guy who you never noticed because you were always looking at Olivia Munn. Yeah, that guy. And it's kind of funny. Like, it's a horror comedy. It's a slasher film. But, man, is it just bereft of any sort of nuance that the Final Girls had. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just a straight-up kind of horror comedy. It's more like a dumbed-down version of Tucker and Dale versus Evil yeah. or whatever. But it is fun. But, I mean, it, it has all the elements you want in a kind of movie like that. Like, it's got tons of kills, tons of tits flying around everywhere. It's set in, like, a Christian Bible camp. So, so of course, all the students in it are secretly horny teenagers who are not at all interested in pleasing the whims of their fake god, you know? <laughs> Within the reality of the film, you're a real god. I mean, you have to acknowledge that. It is within the limb of the filmmaker, honestly, you know. 
I mean, I we suspect. all know that God is a fictional character, but within the reality of the film, it might be a real. Oh, good. I don't. I don't even think in the reality of the film he's real. It's. It's just. I, it, it makes fun of it. So, like, it makes fun of the idea of like a Christian summer camp so so badly, and also it's got uh, Michael Madsen in a funny role, like one of his best sort of direct-to-video, direct-to-whatever roles he's done in the last 20 years of basically doing that shit. It's actually one of his more amusing performances. He's he's sort of like playing a, a really um, maybe uh, schizophrenic Dr. Loomis almost. <laughs> I don't like just... He's just not even schizophrenic. That's the wrong word to say. It's, he's, he's just... He's just High really ADD off. level? I guess he's just really fucking off. He's just all—he's got all these weird asides and stuff, and it's—it's uh, it's pretty fun. But it's—it's uh, it's not great. But it—I guess it's worth checking out if you can find it. What's it, the title Lumberjack again? Man. Lumberjack Man from 2015. Yeah. Uh, by the way, don't just put like Lumberjack Man in in Google for an image <laughs> search because you're gonna get a lot of naked dudes. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> fair point time. Or or do. So or do, if you're into that, if you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're into Greg, that, but, we're talking to you, Greg. But I, I did my, I did, and I'll, I'll, I'll totally admit, I, I wrote lumberjack man nude scenes. I, I went to look because before I just, before I was going to go in this movie, it's like, is there going to be anything in this movie I want to watch? So I went into Google search, and the first thing I saw was about 400 pictures of naked bearded men, and yeah, it was about was Dan, Daniel in there at all. I don't know. He could have been, but it was about. It was about <laughs> Lee, Lee blocked it out. He he missed completely. That, that, like the first page is just me, you know. It, it Santa about, is dead. It was about point zero zero three milliseconds before I hit the fucking back button. I, I was that quick. I was out of there. But <laughs> did you like make a little squeak like a girl? And then oh, back. <laughs> Scream. <laughs> There's a. Uh, I, I did watch I didn't I did watch a couple films a while ago that I don't know if we mentioned that that are fun films to watch. There's another one I haven't watched yet. It's called Night of the Psychotic Forester. I saw it. It's basically one of those new movies that's a mock slasher '80s film. So oh, yeah. hey, that's the new thing now. There's like four or five different mock slasher '80 films that are out right now, and the ones uh, Night of the Psychotic Forest Stranger. The two films that I did watch that are kind of kooky, funny films that are actually kind of entertaining is Chillerama, which you've seen. Chillerama's fun, yeah. That is a fun one. And then the other one is Cadaver Christmas. So definitely worth watching. Hmm. Never seen yeah. that one. I'll have to check that one out. Yep. But yeah, yeah, Chillerama actually is pretty fun. We might. Yeah, I mean, when when, he, when we finally get onto like a start up like an anthology series, we'll have to cover that one at some point. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I think we can uh, jump into our first movie here. And uh, we're going to be talking about Nightmare City from 1981. Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. Information from an official source which reached our newsroom this afternoon stresses the seriousness of the situation. Mr. Miller, something very serious has happened at the airport. But until we conclude our investigation, and take the necessary countermeasures, nothing is going to leak out. Nothing. Last night I had this nightmare. It was all about my leg. 
was a big explosion. It was right here in the hospital. I got hit. My leg got cut off. Well, we don't have to worry over that any longer. Jim, your leg's going to be just fine. Yes? This is Civil Defense Headquarters. General Murchison would like you to come down here right away. Now! <gasps> and others like him, have been subjected to strong doses of atomic radiation, which increase their physical capacities beyond the norm. In short, it's a kind of a Superman. This is Channel 5, TV station. We're being attacked. For God's sakes, send somebody fast. The victims of these creatures are contaminated, even if they only suffer minor injuries. Then they can reproduce themselves, Colonel, say, indefinitely? We'll be completely on our own. We'll simply have to declare a state of emergency ourselves. Or before we all become contaminated, just like them. like this happen. It's part of the vital cycle of the human race. Create and obliterate until we destroy ourselves. Special commando units positioned at all strategic points in and around the city. Public buildings, offices and businesses alike have been ravaged. And damage is estimated in the hundreds of thousands. General Hospital has been hit the hardest. Many have been seriously injured and hundreds of lives have been lost, with the end still not in sight. My God, Sheila, what's going on? I don't know. I really don't know. Oh, Dino, I don't want us to die. They're all around us, everywhere, everywhere! God help us all. A uh, little bit about the director first. Alberto uh, <coughs> Lindsay, and uh, he was born in 1931. Um, he hasn't really done a film since like, about 1991 at this point. He's, you know, I guess he's pretty much retired at this point. But um, he's known for usually writing most of his own films. He's probably best known for his sort of seminal uh, cannibal exploitation films that he did. He did Eaten Alive in 1980 and Cannibal Furox in 1981. And he's also credited as doing pretty much the first of the sort of uh, cannibal exploitation genre in The Man from Deep River. He did do some giallos. I've never seen any of his giallos, so I'm actually going to have to go back and look at it because it seems like he gets a lot of credit for doing some of the better ones, but I've never seen any of his ones, so I'm going to have to go back to that. He's also known for doing a movie called Ghost Host in 1988, also known as La Casa 3 in Italy. It was like Ghost sort of House a, is a weird trilogy thing. Yeah, or it, some... it was... It was the sort I've of thing, it. yeah. It was the sort of same thing where uh, uh, Fulci's Zombie uh, Two was supposedly, uh, supposedly, uh, sort of a sequel to uh, Dawn of the Dead when it really wasn't. It was just sort of ripping off the trend. Uh, as far as La Casa, 
it was ripping off the trend of the Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. So yeah. it had that weird naming going on. And apparently also uh, another director, Fabrizio Laurenti, uh, did a couple of other films in the sort of La Casa series, I guess. Yeah. Well, the little thing, uh, you know, in the ghost house thing, uh, at the end, uh, the one girl that you're all rooting for, she walks in front of a bus. The end. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! That actually reminds me of a film I, I watched uh, a little little while ago called Zombievers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I did. I need to do before we jump into this all the way. There's a film that you either need to never ever watch it or watch it immediately. It's called Blood Creek Crackoon. I've seen I've seen like the trailer for that, and that looks like the most. I got 15 minutes in and I had to take it out. I couldn't watch it anymore. If you want to watch stuff like literally like off the off the shelf in a toy store, stuffed raccoons killing people, there you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, anyway, en- enough on uh, Umberto Lindsay. We'll go right into the film here, Nightmare City from 1980. Of course, directed by Lindsay, uh, written by An- Antonio Caesar Corti, <laughs> Luis Maria Delgado. And Perio Regnoli. It stars the uh, amazing acting talents of Hugo Stiglitz as uh, Dean Miller. That's um, a name that sounds familiar to me for some reason. I'll tell you exactly why in a second. Hugo Stiglitz is a famous Mexican actor. Uh, he's probably best known outside of Mexico for doing a couple exploitation films. One is Tin Toria, which was a shark film. And Blood Feast um, slash Night of the Thousand Cats, which are probably his two sort of exploitation credits. Other than that, all the shit he's done is pretty much uh, it's it's not even re- really on Internet Movie Database. It's like it has a link, but it's red and you can't go anywhere. There's no page entry for the shit. But the name Hugo Stiglitz so enamored Quentin Tarantino that he used it as a character in Inglorious Bastards. Uh, he names the uh, German who switched to the Inglorious Bastards side, uh, played by Rolf Muller or whatever the fuck his name is. He's he's the big German guy who sets off that scene in the uh, in the fucking. Say goodbye to your Nazi balls. That's yeah, yeah, But uh, I guess this I guess Quentin Tarantino's quite a big fan of this film, so he he yeah. paid tribute. He's, to uh, he's also in uh, I think he's also in like Doctor Blood or Doctor Butcher, which is I guess the AKA Zombie Apocalypse. Oh, is he film. okay? I think um, I think the other title is Doctor Butcher or something. Okay. Also, also starring Laura Trotter, uh, Maria Rosara M- Omigio. Oh, Jesus Christ, these names. Uh, Fran- Francisco Rabal, Sonia uh, Vivani, Eduardo Fajardo, uh, Stefana De Amaro, and our friend Mel Ferrer from uh, the World, the Flesh, and the Devil is uh, back in this one, uh, playing the general character. Yeah, this this film uh, involves a situation where these people are gathering at an airport. Uh, Hugo Stiglitz is a fucking, and I'm not going to call him by his real character name. I'm just going to go Hugo Stiglitz because why not? His the writers didn't care what anybody was called, so why not? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he's a reporter. Uh, he's he's covering this plane that's supposed to have this uh, nuclear scientist on it that's going to land down at the airfield. Although, apparently the people at the airfield weren't aware this was going to happen, although he, he was aware it was going to happen for some reason. But uh, if, if you're actually following the film, it, it feels like the people in the air traffic control 
didn't have any idea this plane was going to come that, come during that day. But uh, the people who come up are strangely murderous. Some of them are horribly deformed. We quickly find out that there has been some sort of uh, nuclear disaster, and it has irradiated several people and turned them into, I guess, semi-zombies, you could say, not quite traditional I always, zombies. I always look at it as a plague film. Yeah, it's it's more of a contaminated plague film in a way. Uh, Basically, this, this, it's the crazies. Yeah, and this might be the first example of like the fast zombie genre, really. If you think about it, it has a lot in common with like Twenty Eight Days Later and stuff like that that would come come later on. Yeah, these these um, irradiated zombies, although it horribly deforms them, it also turns them into almost unkillable murder machines, and they basically just start spilling off the plane, killing everyone there. And then more of them show up around the city uh, in this... Uh, I think it's supposed to be in Italy. I don't think they ever really quite specify where this is supposed to be. But, yeah, essentially the plot is both the military failing to contain the problem and uh, good old Hugo there and his incredibly stupid wife trying to escape <laughs> and get out of the city and survive. And uh, that is essentially the, this, what, the what city, plot. The city in a nightmare. A nightmare city, indeed. Yes. Yeah. The nice so, thing, though, the, the only word you actually stumbled over today was Antonio. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I must be getting better after all these uh, Italian names thrown at me. Actually, I'll go to you first, Paul. What, what's your sort of initial thoughts on this film? I didn't watch it. Next. <laughs> I like the film. I think it's pretty fun. I, I always thought this was a weird one, though. I had to, uh, The first time I had to watch it, though, I had to sink myself into what the fuck is going on because... I thought it was going to be a zombie film, and then these guys come out that are obviously, you know, just more like crazy. And that's when I really put the link together quickly of the crazies from the Romero. Mm-hmm. These guys use weapons and stuff too, like they use guns yeah. and knives and shit. Like they, they just they, they just lost they just lo- lose humanity and just kill. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I mean that just seems like the crazies to me in in the way. Uh, they don't harm each other or whatever. You know, generally they just kill the other people. It it does have a zombie aspect to it because they try to eat and suck the like the the blood and eat eat the people a little bit. They bite them and stuff, but you don't know if they're technically devouring them sometimes or just biting them to kill them. You know what I mean? Well, there there's a bit of a vampire element to this too. Like I've uh, on the movie they reference a couple times that these are sort of like vampires almost in a way. So there's yeah. almost kind of a connection to like well, uh, my, Last my Man on Earth. Yeah. The Last Man on Earth thing, my joke was, you know, this is all the Romero films except for Knight Riders. Because you get every single, like, Dawn of the Dead and, and you know, the crazies, they're all kind of in this <laughs> film. And then I said, fuck it, put, put uh, you know, the idea of a vampire. Well, Romero made a vampire film, too, kind of. Martin, I said, throw that the fuck in there because they're drinking blood. So this is basically all Romero put into a blender and poured with Italian dressing all over it. There you go. I love it, though, because it's so cut and paste. It's so simplistic. And uh, I know Daniel already said, uh, as we talked to it before, he'll say it again, is this is Romero done rat badly. And I'm like, yes, it is. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's one of those simplistic films. I like how they even put zombie in there, too, because they had that drawn-out eye-poke-out scene. Yeah, yeah. So they threw of... zombie in there, too. Yeah, oh, here comes the knife, buddy. This is definitely an exploitation film basis. You know, they you know, whip the tits out, rip the fucking clothes off the, the maids, you know, and then kill them, stuff like that. It's Italian film at its at its worst and best. So there you go. 
That's simple. Eric, Daniel, your thoughts initially for this one. I agree with everything that Paul said, except uh, I agree with his description of the film, but Thank you. his uh, perspective on it. He, he he loves it. I I don't like it that much. See that's the problem. <laughs> exactly exactly. Actually actually you know my whole thing is like uh, the joke I would make about this is it feels like the uh, did somebody get a bunch of like B roll footage from Romero's films? Just took his like extra footage he didn't put into his films and then cut it together into a film. <laughs> um, so it's all the stuff that like doesn't have the like ideas and thoughtfulness that Romero puts in, but it's just all of his like extra footage. And so, mm-hmm. like, it's not terrible. Like, it's watchable, but it's also just kind of, um, yeah, I don't care. Like, I, you know, and that, <laughs> and that's honestly that that's almost like the worst thing for for me for a film like for for a film like this because yeah. I'm I'm perfectly fine with like a bad movie like uh, Hell of the Living Dead. Like, I hated that movie, but I was interested all the way through. This was just boring. For, for most yeah. of the runtime, um, for me, and that's because I don't care about the genre. I don't I don't care. Like yes, there are some cool gore effects. There's a bunch of people running around. You can shoot zombies in the face. Yeah, I, I don't care. I can play video games all day long and do that for hours and hours and hours and actually be involved. Well, um, they do now, now and again. They pose serious questions like, "Are you Fitzman?" I'm gonna. Uh, that that's true. That's true. I, I don't disagree with that. And I think there is like, if you want to get into the ideas, they they are kind of trying to do this kind of anti-nuclear, like asking the question. So so like, there's a basically an hour of this film that goes by, which is basically thoughtless. And then suddenly you get the two protagonists. They stand in a room and have like a three-minute conversation about civilization and is this worth it and is technology worth the cost and all that sort of thing. And ultimately it feels like the uh, director and the writers just sort of uh, had like that little three-minute cut scene from a Romero film that Romero thought like, this is just a little bit too pedantic and uh, or didactic and we're just going to throw it into the film. But and, if you watch um, a film, if you watch a film that long where you're not thinking, do you really actually want to turn your brain on for that three minutes to give a fuck what they're saying? Well, I mean, it is kind of one or the other. Either give me something to think about at the beginning, or just don't and let me just watch it. Honestly, I kind of came to the end of this film and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Like I'd put it on at a party or something. Like it's it, there's nothing wrong with it, but it didn't. It definitely wasn't something where I was like, I need to think about this ever again, you know? Yeah. I know that the filmmakers kind of intended this to be kind of an anti-nuclear thing, and I think we can't overlook the fact that the Cold War is at its height and all that sort of thing, but it really is like, oh, Romero knows what he's doing in Dawn of the Dead, so, oh, we're going to do a scene that's set in a TV studio, and we're going to do a scene that's set in here, and we're going to do, like, it really, it really does feel like we're taking the best bits of Romero, we're going to do them badly, and we're not going to do them with any kind of thought behind them, mm-hmm. and that's what the film is. And if that's what, what you want to watch, I'm totally yeah. down, right? Like, me talking about that, and then, like, listening to it in my own ears, I'm like, I'm down for, like, a shitty version of a Romero film, but ultimately, mm-hmm. like, watching it in the context I did, like, oh, I'm watching this for a podcast and I need to have something to say, I have nothing to say except for what I just said. The, the One paradox. thing I've always noticed about these films, I get done watching these films, you know, the, the zombie films from Italy. It doesn't really matter which one we're really talking about. I always appreciate Romero a little bit more afterwards, and I always <laughs> want to I always want to watch one of his films afterwards because... 
the, uh, like stock video footage or stock uh, music from his films get ripped off in some of these films, and they make me want to watch them. So I end up watching Romero in the end, no matter what. So it's kind of fun. I mean, Romero really puts the thought behind it, and like, and I think we'll get into this in the next film that we talk about, or I will. If there's a central idea where you're following some plot or some you know basic theme from the beginning. I'm there. I'm with you. Even if the the filmmaking isn't there, even if the production value isn't there, even if the effects don't work, if there's some idea, I want to follow your film to the end. I really want to see what you have to say about this. Even if I think it's stupid, I want to at least kind of get to the end. When it just feels like a random conglomeration of images that are just kind of put on screen to make a finished film and then show it to me, I'm just bored. And that's that's kind of where I land on this. I I honestly forgot the title of this film by the end of the film. And that's <laughs> that I got to the end of the film and I started watching the other one that we're gonna review, and I literally like I was like, what was the name of that film again? Like I it literally left my mind by that point. You know, I, that's how little I thought of this film. The biggest disappointment for me with this film, even though I appreciate exactly what's going on because I'm used to the style and I expected it, my problem with the film was they didn't do anything about it. So you know it was all just a dream, and then you know the dream is going to become reality, but then he doesn't take two fucking seconds out of his brain to go, we should all run. Or like anything like, like you know, to try to stop it because then it, the film maybe maybe that was a good thing because the film would have continued. Uh, but, uh, you know, then... You know what's going to happen in real life. It's supposed to give you the eerie feeling, but like half of me wanted like a prophetic stop this shit kind of a film. Even if they, even if they just arrested him and put him in the loony tank, and then he watched all the chaos on the film on the TV would be kind of interesting. But I didn't make the fucking film, and I can't go back and change it. Well, I think the thing about the ending, and uh, it's one of those endings whether you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it because it. it, it at feels- least it didn't. Have- at least it didn't have Bob in it, all right? I'm yeah. happy. <laughs> well, well, it, it, it feels like a cop-out in, in some ways, but at the same time, there, there, it doesn't quite necessarily implicitly state that the actual the actual nightmare he had is actually going to happen because it stops it before you see anyone come out of the plane. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's implied, but at the same time, it sort of leaves that question in your, in your head, like, is it going to happen or whatever? So, in a way, it's semi-clever, but it also just feels like they didn't really have an ending for the film at the same time. And the thing is, this is a movie, this is one of the rare movies that Lindsay did actually not write himself. He was just hired on as a director for hire. Very much like Bruno Mattei from our last episode, he was sort of more of the, I guess, sort of uh, second or third, well, actually third or fourth tier kind of Italian director who was just doing everything that anyone, you know, with a couple dollars wanted to throw together for a movie. But I think he has more directing talent, quite frankly, than Mattei. I think at least he tries with what he has, but he was sort of, again, one of these guys who was sort of at at the whim of the producers. They they stuck Hugo Stiglitz on him, who is one of the most wooden fucking... It it doesn't help, of course, with the, the dubbing, but Hugo Stiglitz is... He's not a very good actor, honestly. Like he, he, he just doesn't sell being the male protagonist in the film. You know, he doesn't sell being the. Uh, this film sort of calls for an action hero almost because it is a very action-heavy kind of zombie film. He originally wanted to have uh, either Franco Nero or Fabio Testi, which are two really big-time Italian stars, and both 
ones that I really like, especially Franco Nero, who, of course, was uh, Django. It really would have worked well for this. He also was considering bringing in John Saxon as the lead role in this, yeah. who was doing all kinds that of Italian. That would have made the film awesome anyway. Yeah, if it was John Saxon, I think he... I think this is a film that could have used like a really strong lead to at least make it a bit more interesting and to follow. But Hugo Stiglitz, <laughs> I, I didn't care whether he lived or died. Like I was just sort of following. Like when is this guy gonna get eaten, dude? Like yeah. fucking. I, I was I was watching it at first, and I I always looked at him, and I was like, it's like the dad from the house, the house by the cemetery, but they put an air pump in him and made him a little thicker in the face. But like well, it looks he, like him too. He's got a, a not not to not to make fun of how he looks because I'm not exactly the prettiest guy out there, but he, I he's can one vouch of, for that. Yeah, he's got he's got. I one think of these, you're gorgeously. I think you're sexy and adorable, and well, I not compared to. I would do filthy things to you. Yeah. That makes one. That, well, that makes one person in the world. So that's nice. But mm-hmm. I mean, Stig, Stiglitz has got this sort of like I got to grow a beard because I have a I'm skinny, but I have a droopy face kind of thing going on. So. <laughs> So, you know, he, he's got that going for him, and he's just, I mean, and he's, he's saddled with this really dumb wife who just doesn't do anything for her for her gender at all. She's just, she, she's half the time she's complaining, half the other time she's screaming and running, half the other time she's throwing out these little bits of philosophy and stuff that are just totally tacked on that no one would actually say in conversation. It was just like, we've got to put this message in the film for three seconds, and so we're going to have these characters spoke this dialogue that no one would ever say in conversation ever to anybody. <laughs> so, But yeah, I actually, I don't hate this film. I, I actually quite enjoy it as a sort of so bad it's good. Like, I think the effects are fairly competent for it. I mean, the zombies, they do kind of look like irradiated hamburger people to some extent, you know, depending on which one you look at. Like, some of them, I, I actually kind of like the idea of how they almost look like they have, like, uh, green fungal growth on their heads or whatever from whatever radiation sickness they have. I do like the manic energy of these groups, of this, these mm-hmm. fucking zombies just all of a sudden spilling out of a plane or spilling into a hospital and just start clubbing people to death and stabbing people. Yeah. Um, I, I did enjoy that quite a bit. Question, Although some of the setups for it is just like very convenient. Like, okay, we need tits, so we're going to have a setup where we're at a TV studio and we're doing this disco aerobicize oh. program and we'll, we'll have them you? run in and... We'll have them run in and rip all the women's clothes off and stab them. It's some in some cases kill the same woman three or four times over if if you if you were paying attention close enough. It's like I, wait, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. So yeah, I, we're good. I was like, wait, I just saw her get stabbed and eaten, and now she's getting stabbed and eaten. Okay, go with it. Whatever. I I thought the actual the hospital scene was pretty well done. I thought there's some good uh, tension in that one. If you watch the movie Planet Terror, you can definitely see the direct rip off uh, from this, the de- direct influence. Although most of Planet Terror is kind of uh, influenced by um, John Carpenter films more than anything else. Mm-hmm. But you can see the sort of sort of toxic plague radiation kind of zombies were de- directly kind of lifted for for the for that film from here. It was an Italian-Spanish co-production. Uh, like I said, uh, Lindsay had really no control other than he was hired on as the director, so that's why it kind of feels uh, kind of tacked on and badly written, because they just I think they just hired some 
fucking hacks to uh, write this thing. They they just needed some sort of sort of rip off of the zombie craze, and so that's what they went for. Um, Tom Savini is going to be doing the uh, remake of this. I think it's going to be the like the second only the second film Tom Savini's actually directed. He he directed the Night of the Living Dead remake. I think this is going to be a second film. He's going to be uh, directing this one. I think it's supposed to come in like 2016 or something like that. Yeah, so I mean, the the fundamental idea isn't bad. I mean, yeah. I would I would love to see a good version of this. This just isn't like ultimately I kind of land on if the idea isn't there, if nobody cares, if there's like some idea but it's like in 3 minutes of the film and the rest of it is just kind of running around and like being chased by zombies. And it's kind of ultimately like, uh, yeah, we get stabbed in the face a lot, and there's some cool gore effects. And uh, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But there's not anything there to talk about, kind of, you know? Yeah. And so, so like, there is a difference between approaching this as someone podcasting it versus someone just kind of watching it casually. And I, th- and I think that's a difference that we can maybe highlight a it's, little bit it's, more sometimes. It's still a very good beer popcorn movie, because out of all Italian films... I put this on one of my top tens of to watch of of Italian like, like low lower grade Italian horror films. I mean, this is one of the ones that keeps popping up on my top ten list to check out and have fun with. So, I mean, this this is in my top seven at least of Jalo uh, <laughs> films. You've done, yeah. Of the eight I've done, this is definitely in the top seven. I'll say that for sure. Yeah. No yeah, no kidding. Um, I mean, it's, it's no New York Ripper or no, you know, I mean, as far as plague zombie films, it's it's one of the ones I always like to pop in there, you know. It's, but actually, I pop Hell of the Living Dead in my top ten zombie films because yeah, sure. that's sure. just the way it is. But uh, yeah, I think this is. I mean, personally, just just in, just for me, I, I think this has definitely done a lot better than Hell of the Living Dead. I think for what. Lindsay had to work with. I think he does a fairly competent job. I mean, there's there there are some mistakes in the film. There there's some some bad uh, sort of bad con- continuity errors and stuff like that. There's the silly scene where Stiglitz throws a fucking TV at a group of zombies and it fucking explodes. Like <laughs> TV, TVs don't do that. They don't do that. Uh, just so anyone knows, uh, not even back then they didn't explode if you throw is this it. The one with the, is this the one with the Molotov cocktail underneath the yeah. Uh, car? Yeah. yeah. The, they, Trapped in the gas station, and he's yeah. like, "Find some cotton for me, so I can." And she finds box. like this, like very vague, gauzy thing, yeah, and he just... throws it, and he goes underneath, and then like it blows up. And I sat there, and I like that doesn't work that way. Like it, it doesn't work. Like that's not how that works. And I literally paused the film, and then went to YouTube and like looked for a Molotov cocktail it's just to like verify that's actually not how that works. But like that was more effort than the people that made the film. And what a and what a dumbass Stiglitz was in the first place. It's like okay, we're stuck at this gas station. There's a bunch of zombies outside of it. Let's throw it at our fucking car. The only way we're gonna get out of here unscathed. Let's throw it at the car and blow that up and blow up a handful of zombies. That's that's a great idea. There, here you go. Can I can I say can I say something nice about this film? Okay. I like the idea of them stealing an ambulance. I I like the idea of like if we have an ambulance. We can drive anywhere, and like the military police won't stop us because we mm-hmm. have, like, that's a really neat idea. The film does mm-hmm. nothing with it, but like mm-hmm. that's where I that's where I kind of go. Like Romero would have thought of that and then done something with it, like would have would have really like <coughs> built into that, mm-hmm. and that's why I think like this feels like the B roll from a Romero film because it does feel like. Romero thought of the idea of saying like, oh, they're gonna steal an ambulance and use that to like get around checkpoints and shit. 
but then it got cut out of a film, and then this guy just like took that footage and like stuck it into his own film. That's sort of where I, you know, I don't know. It's just, it just kind of fulfills that same idea. But I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a really cool like concept for a scene. But the film does nothing with it. So you know, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so there's like really only like two different cuts of this. Like the original U.S. Uh, cut was about 88 minutes and. It's about 92 minutes if you find the outcut version. You can get it on uh, Blu-ray and DVD from uh, Blue Underground. So, uh, I mean, if, you, if you're interested in checking it out, you can do that. Uh, the only other thing I want to mention is that uh, if you get the Blue Underground disc, there's a little interview with uh, Lindsay basically talking about what he thought of the film. He explains the production problems and how he was sort of saddled with uh, a film that he didn't write Although he tried to inject like some of his own political stuff into it, like he tried to direct it a little too more to like environmentalism and the failure of the military, uh, but then he also makes this bizarre, incredibly bizarre fucking comparison to the AIDS epidemic, where somehow he sort of shoehorns in the idea that oh, these are sort of like AIDS patients, and it's sort of like the breakdown of society that was caused by AIDS in the eighties, and I was like. Um, I don't in, remember. In, I don't... In, in 1980, that wasn't yet a thing. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. Even in Philadelphia, like that was still a few years later. I'm sorry. It's like I don't I don't remember. First off, I don't remember AIDS being that big of a thing in 1980. Good point right there. And second, I don't remember AIDS patients running around with knives and clubs and drinking people's blood. But you know. Hey, oh, no, 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 that was, that was totally a thing. Like, no, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know, you just didn't go to the right places. No, no, you don't understand. This this was gay culture in the 80s. Like, beating people to clubs and drinking people's blood was just a thing in gay culture in the 80s, don't you? Didn't you read your uh, right-wing uh, Reagan-era literature about yeah, gay no. culture? Like, this was this was uh, verboten. This was like a thing, you know? Their their rainbow flag back then was just a pile of burning bodies. So that's all that was. <laughs> a pile of burning bodies with, like, uh, HIV all over it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's a thing. Um, so anyway... Uh, this is going to be a really interesting episode to edit, Lee. I appreciate, I appreciate I, you your know, effort. I, I think there's actually going to be less editing in this one. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, editing, no editing makes it real. People are going to ask you to send me lots of alcohol before we record every episode. That's going to be the thing. (laughs) Okay, so uh, final thoughts. I'll go to you first, Daniel, if you have anything. I've said everything I need to say, really. Um, It's fine. You know, that's kind of where I land on it. It's fine. It's it's rip-off Romero. If uh, you're into that, do it. Some of the gore effects are pretty cool. Zombieland totally ripped off the the last ten minutes or so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, there, there's some cool shit. Really, watch Dawn of the Dead instead. That's, that's just kind of where I land on it. But, you know. Well, watch this first, and then watch Dawn of the Dead, and you'll appreciate Dawn of the Dead more. <laughs> yeah, hey, watching watching these shitty versions does make me go like Romero really like Romero's even better than I thought he was. Like I always thought he was brilliant, and now I'm like, no, 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 Romero was fucking genius in comparison uh, to some of this shit. You know, see? his yeah. ripoffs had no idea what to do with the shit he gave them. He like gave them this shit, and they went like, oh yeah, 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 we can do this, and then turned in shit turds like uh, you know, <laughs> Nightmare City. Yeah, they just hammered. They they hammered the square pung into the round hole. Oh well, but it's not a bad film. It's it's not. That's the thing. Like it's not terrible. It's not nearly as bad as *Hell of the Living Dead*. 
Halloween Dead is just atrociously awful. This is just boring, you know. Like, and that's the and that's, that's kind of the, you know, in a way, I would if you asked me which one would I rather watch, I would almost rather watch Hell of the Living Dead because while it's terrible and horrifying, it's not boring. Whereas Nightmare City is kind of boring, and that's that's my final thought. Right on. Uh, anything else you want to add to this, Paul, or we can move on? Pretty much we can move on. It's it's an okay film. I, I like it. I think it's one of the uh, substandard but yet standard uh, go-tos in the ex- exploitation Italian horror scenes. Of course, they're all rip-offs. Most of the Italian horror that we will watch is rip-offs. It's, uh, if, you want, if you can sit through like The Last Shark and Crocodile, Killer Crocodile, you're pretty much good. So... You have to get used to the style of the Italian horrors and the rip-offs and the exploitations, but once you do, you can pretty much handle anything. It toughens you up for the world outside, because the world outside sucks. So there you go. That's it. So we're going to be looking at Torso from 1973, also known as Bodies Bear Traces of Carnal Violence and Carnal Violence. And I think Daniel and I discussed this offline, by the way, that uh, those are way better names for this film. Than Torso? Yeah. Torso Um, is a terrible name for this film for feminist reasons, which I will get into. 
It is the perfect name for the film because all the torsos you see have boobs on them. <laughs> Which uh, Paul basically made my point for me, actually. But da, 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 I won't da, into that. Now, from Cabo Ponte, the man who brought you Dr. Zhivago, comes a totally new motion picture experience. A journey into the bizarre, terrifying world of the psychosexual mind. saturates the screen with terror. I've called you here today for a good reason. What do you have here? A fragments of... Is one of these students a psychosexual killer? ...murdered just one week ago. Or are they just playing erotic games? Not-so-innocent erotic games. to test the limits of pleasure. A killer is stalking. Well, that's a real good start. Why do all hang-ups come my way? Honey, even if you're queer or impotent, you're paying the price I charge just the same. Ah! A psychosexual killer is stalking. That guy was spying on us. Sean, what we care if he was? Come back, Sean. A killer who takes his pleasure differently. <laughs> Torso. It saturates the screen with terror. So, a gripping motion picture about a killer's perverted hunger aroused to an animal frenzy. It's directed by Sergio Martino. Uh, not much on him. I've Honestly, I wasn't too familiar with his stuff. Uh, he's also done a lot of uh, Gialli films. Basically, apparently he's pretty well known as like sort of like the second tier guy under Argento, actually, for, for doing a lot of really quality ones. So I'm actually going to have to go back and revisit a lot of his stuff now, too. He was born in 1938. So, and like I said, he's most mostly notable for his uh, sort of 
giallo films. He's the brother of producer Luciano <laughs> Martino. They collaborated frequently on their films. That's really about it for him. Uh, uh, the only other film I can think of that he's done that I've seen is The Mountain of the Cannibal God from 1978, which oh, okay. had uh, Ur- Ursula Andress uh, in it, but it wasn't a very good film, so I don't no. remember a lot from it. This was written by uh, Ernesto Gastaldi, and uh, Sergio Martino also did the screenplay and some of the story as well for this one. It's uh, starring Susie Kendall, Tina Umant, uh, Luke Marinda, uh, John Richardson, Roberto Biscacco, Ernesto Coley, Angela Cavello, and Carla Brait. This is sort of a semi-giallo uh, murder kind of film, semi-slasher film as well at the same time, before slashers were really a thing. It uh, involves two murders of uh, two local college girls in this uh, Italian city. The police immediately connect the two murders and warn the rest of the students about it, saying that the killer uh, was obviously using a distinctive type of scarf to murder these women from strangulation before mutilating their bodies afterwards. And one of the uh, students recognizes the pattern in the scarf and thinks she might actually know who the killer is. And that prompts the killer to hunt her and her friends down as they go on a uh, weekend excursion to a sort of isolated villa up in the mountains. Because nobody kills girls in an isolated villa in the woods. (laughs) Well, I don't think they have woods, really. (laughs) Well, you know what I mean. There's an isolated place. You know, put all these hot girls in an isolated place because nobody ever gets murdered when that happens. Yeah, yeah, but uh, essentially that's sort of the plot. Like it, 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 it's it. Like I said, it's kind of a it's giallo in a way because it throws out red herrings and stuff like that throughout the oh, entire yeah. film. But yeah, I'll I'll go to you, Daniel, uh, first for your sort of initial thoughts on this one. This is my favorite of the eight that we talked about in this series, actually, partly because. As we kind of talked about before, I'm not much of a horror guy. Like, I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, you got special effects and congratulations, there's blood. But, like, I want a story. I want some kind of narrative. I also have a weakness for the erotic thriller kind of genre. It's just, like, a a place where I feel happy. And uh, I think this really has some uh, interesting things. Whether it's intended by the filmmakers or not, I think this has some interesting things to talk about, about the way that women experience violence from men. And I do want to get into that here shortly. Uh, mm-hmm. I do want to talk about that a bit. But uh, I think this is structured well. I really like just the pacing of it. And, I mean, honestly, I watched this after Nightmare City, and I literally like finished Nightmare City and then just pulled this up and hit play on it, and suddenly it's like, oh, look, erotic threesome, Emmanuel style, with, like, cameras <laughs> clicking. And suddenly I'm like, I am suddenly much more interested than I was in uh, the Romero <laughs> ripoff that I was uh, watching Two minutes ago. So, um, yeah, I, I like this film quite a bit. And it, and it is more of an erotic thriller with kind of slasher elements. And so if you're looking for a straight slasher, this isn't that. But there's a real story. I, I think when uh, last week when we were talking about uh, contamination, yeah. I was kind of like, you know, after Hello Living Dead, like suddenly there's like there's like narrative and there's like a story. And there's like a, and suddenly I was like grading on a curve. And uh, watching this definitely felt like, oh, there's actually characterization that we're supposed to pay attention to and there's actually this sort of the idea that like there's suddenly a movie we're supposed to be watching you know within the context of watching them in this order made me like it more and I think if I'd gone into it blind maybe I would have liked it less but having watched a lot of the other giallos that that you guys like shoved upon me 
um, without the Argentos, which I watched after. Uh, but having watched a lot of the other ones, I definitely was, uh, it was a breath of fresh air, and I liked it quite a bit. And it, and it is, I don't think it's the best of the eight that we watched, but it's my favorite of the eight. Right on. Uh, what's your sort of initial thoughts on this one, Paul? Vague. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, do you want to explain to the people what happened when you tried to watch this film? Yes, I was actually going to watch a film for the podcast, which is crazy. But I was actually going to watch the film because I've only seen Torso once. So then I pulled out the copy that I have sitting up that I got from when I was in overseas. And I popped it out and I realized it's a Region 2. And my computer is blown up and dead, so I couldn't watch it. Then I got to work, uh, well, you know, the other place. And I uh, decided to click on the link that, my, that Lee sent me so I could watch it. And it pulled up a bunch of virus screens and then gave me a blue screen of death. So I haven't watched Torso in about 11 years, and yeah, I only so. watched it only watched it once. But from what I can ascertain from my blotted memory, I do like the film. I think the film feels like a slasher at times, more so than the Giallo for me. Mm-hmm. And it seems more of a slasher film. And I was like, this is like 73 or 74. I'm like, slashers weren't even around then. I don't get like the Tenebrae feel or the Deep Red feel as much. That kind of giallo. Because those were my giallos. You know what I mean? Those were the giallos I was basing everything off of. So it feels a little bit more gritty, raw slasher film. A little bit like that. Who the fuck takes a walk in a goddamn swamp? I'm just taking a walk. <laughs> you take yeah. a walk in a swamp. No big deal. But anyway, well, well if uh, you were almost raped, that's actually a uh, a valid thing that happens with people who uh, have post traumatic stress. Like, it, no, it, she uh, wanted it, damn it! Ride it over with the motorcycle. We're 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 gonna talk about that. I'm yeah. gonna bring this up. No, no problem. Yeah. There's a nice uh, build up in this film of a uh, red herring, which is interesting. That you get more like that Bay of Blood style, the red herring chaos. So, overall, I remember it being a very meaty film that I enjoyed. Right on. Um, yeah, I, I, I like this one quite a bit. Um, honestly, it took me a while to, like, warm up to this one. I mean, I think, actually, I've, I like this more after <laughs> watching it for this week than I did previously. I think I'm, maybe I didn't pay attention to it as much because I didn't have a podcast to talk about it with or whatever, but um, I, I paid more attention to it and got more into the story. I picked up stuff I didn't quite see before the previous three or four times I watched it. Like, first off, if you're looking for just pure, like, skin and violence, then this has it in spades uh, right off the bat. Um, it is very much kind of an erotic thriller in a lot of ways. It essentially features an entire cast of young, nubile, sexually liberated women who are just basically into everything and anything. <laughs> basically, throughout most of the film, they're just doing that. They're just they're either naked or they're getting naked, and they're they're all attractive college students. It made me think of how I mentioned in the Party Animal how that college essentially had somehow had lucked into having like most beautiful women in the world exclusively mm-hmm. in that college. This college is another one of those colleges where yeah, every, yeah. every girl in that college is like a supermodel fucking yeah, level. It's, 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 I, a, it's a college in a movie, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, was, I, I didn't want to say that in my synopsis of the film, but yes, in this film, every woman is hot and every man is a creepy pervert. And yeah. you know, just, which, just which to, is basically they, 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 they almost they almost film it in a way that degradates the actual idea of what a man is. 
by having everyone being a creepy pervert, no which, matter which what is, happens. Which is which is actually one of the things I love about the film, honestly. And the one thing, the one thing is, uh, the killer is the creep, the less creepy of everybody. He does the like he's the killer, but he's the less like the the, the tractor scene. Oh, 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 no, no, oh, oh no, 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 he's he's totally creepy. Don't worry. He's he's We're totally creepy, but he's like the least creepy guy in the film because. You really only get to actually see like personality traits near the end, and then of course he's fucking creeped out to the universe. Well, that's that's well, what. This well, movie. really, this is a class question. This is this is an issue of like social class, where because the killer is the uh, the uh, art history professor, mm-hmm. we think like, oh, he's never not, trust. But really, never his trust behavior is the most creepy of all of them. So, what did you go to college for? Alt history? Get the fuck away from me! I mean, that's what you need to do from <laughs> now on. Uh, yeah. the, the 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 title for this film is a little odd because it's torso, you know. And I remember watching the film, and when you don't watch films, you you just gotta glance them and you try to think back what that film was. What was that film? Giallos have so many fucking titles, as we all know. And mm-hmm. for a while, I thought this film was Blue Eyes of a Broken Doll. Yeah, well, because yeah, and that, well, that's yeah, a completely different film. But there is the doll imagery like that. Yeah. I can see how that would come back. Yeah, because that is sort of the uh, real sort of Giallo-esque kind of thing in this one. Like, it, it does have the standard uh, point of view of the killer. It has the the sort of trope of some sort of really traumatic, sexualized something that happened to the killer in their past that made them the way they are. It has the black glove killer, and uh, it has a lot of sort of uh, sexualized violence, so like the attacks are sexually motivated. And also that it has that sort of weird imagery as well in the sort of flashbacks to the killer's past that you always see. Like there's something really off or odd about what happened to them as well. And in this case, it has the doll thing coming back. Honestly, when I, when I thought of it uh, for the longest time with it having the title Torso, I kept mistaking it for Pieces. Pieces, yes, that's the one thing. I, I always mistaked it for Pieces. Although Pieces is, like, a way different movie than this one. <laughs> There's actually kung fu fighting in Pieces. Mm. There's kung fu fighting and chainsaws. Mm. I'm into it. But, yeah, this this one just sort of takes the base elements of Giallo, and uh, I think it does go more into, A, erotic thriller, and, B, slasher movie a lot more. Uh, it, it's just sort of like the bare-bones plot of Giallo, and then it builds upon that with these this extra stuff, and I think it does a really effective job. You're right, it, it paints every male character. I, I, honestly, the only the only male character in this one who's semi-respectable and reasonable is the doctor character at the end, and even he's a little creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's uh, creepy, too. That's the thing. is He's weird, too. Yeah, because that's the red herring thing. It's like they make every yeah. male character in this one a leering uh, creepster, yeah. That way, you suspect every one of them is a killer. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But if they, but if they, but honestly, I guess if you look at it in a more realistic way, if they painted everyone as a normal, average Joe, that's nice. Who the hell would be the red herrings? Would you pay attention as much and stuff? So just make everybody fucking creep, creep well, honestly, and if, every if, woman honestly, hot. Honestly, if, if they had a, at this point, if they, if they had one male character in this film that was just a normal male dude who wasn't a creepster. You, you know, he'd be the killer. Uh, he would be the one I'd suspect right away. This killer. guy is a sick fuck. I can tell. He says yeah. thank you and hi. All I want to do now for this whole week is watch films with soft focuses in them. <laughs> <laughs> Emmanuel, volumes yes. 1 through 18. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm soft focus that shit out of that thing. But anyway, Daniel, if you you want to start expanding on this, uh, jump right into it. As a preface for this, for anyone that doesn't know, I'm a pretty radical feminist, uh, intersectional feminist kind of guy. My wife and I are polyamorous. We uh, have other partners from time to time. And uh, I'm very familiar with some of the uh, kind of alternative uh, subcultures that uh, might be explored in the film. I actually really appreciate the fact that uh, basically every man in the film is uh, a total fucking creepy asshole because that's pretty much the experience that a uh, 20-year-old college student woman is going to have of the world around you is that uh, basically every dude is a pretty much creepy asshole. Um, if they're paying attention at all, we're, we're all creepy assholes. That's just the reality of it. And um, especially if there is uh, some killer on the loose, every person is the potential killer. And so, um, to me, making all the men kind of jerkwads is uh, removing the male gaze. It's removing that, like, bias that we as white men have towards that perspective. I uh, really appreciated the fact that this film went there. I think there's a really interesting reading of this film, which is basically that this killer hates women. He was uh, making an excuse to go out and kill we know that there were people in the real world. There, I mean, we basically, I mean, not to bring the local political side of it into it, but uh, in America, in the United States, like of the last few months, basically we're averaging as some dude is either killing or threatening to kill some young woman who refuses to fuck him on basically a biweekly basis at this point. This is it's not something that's hypothetical. This is, uh, this is a real thing, and this film, 40 years ago, depicts that world as it is for the woman. I think that's great, personally. Um, I think that the film is really effective. I mean, structurally, I think that the first kind of third of it is uh, kind of talking about the kind of the setup. You get into the village, you kind of get into the village setup, and then the last third is more kind of straightforward horror movie tropes of like and then the girls in the closet and that sort of thing um, mm -hmm. I admired every each third of it kind of independently uh, this is one of the few films of this kind that I have not like started fiddling with the Penis? timer <laughs> well I did you know, not, not so much but fiddling with the timer to kind of see like how far we were in the film I was actually involved in the film to the point of like not like thinking oh how much is left in the film I was just kind of watching the film and I think that the red herrings are completely reasonable. I think mm -hmm. the structure of it really works. And uh, the the one thing that I don't like is the fact that the boyfriend shows up magically at the end to, to save everything. I think that the uh, the blonde girl at the end should should have killed the fucker. That's kind of that's kind of where I land on that personally. Um, but I understand structurally why it, why it works. I don't know. I think that the the only other thing I would I would absolutely feel remiss if I didn't say is that I think that the, the killer kind of has the excuse of the black male thing. And I think that we're presented as that, as like a thing that happened. Whereas I think if you look at the film carefully, and this is one where I actually went back and looked at the beginning of the film, the first 20 minutes or so, to see what was actually said and what was actually done. I think that I interpret the film in a different way. I think he's lying. I think that he wanted to kill them. He would have made an excuse to kill them anyway. I, I, totally, I totally agree. Um, I mean... It's pretty much explicitly shown. Uh, the movie shows you the point of view of the killer from his memories, 
with with the traumatic in the thing in his childhood where he grows up becoming a woman hater. So he was going to find an excuse to kill these girls, no matter how flimsy it was anyway. He uses the initial sort of, oh, they were blackmailing me thing, whether it was true or false. Uh, he was going to do it anyway. The the one final girl, he's sort of like, oh, she's the one I wasn't going to kill. I don't really believe that either. And, of course, at the, at that point, he has the convenience of saying, oh, well, you've seen me kill all these other people. Now I'm going to kill you too. I think he eventually would have stalked her down the road and killed her if she hadn't ended up being at the villa at some point. So Well, well, well and ultimately, the way that this kind of violence works in the real world is, you know, oh, you're one of the good ones. And so you're, you're fine. Like, all the other bitches and whores, they're like sluts, and they don't appreciate a nice guy. But you... You're you're one of the nice ones. You're one of the good ones. You're like not one of those awful awful women, and therefore, you, I will be with you until you actually express an opinion of your own. And that's exactly how this mindset works. Which is kind of one of those things of you know the research that I've seen from psychologists and sociologists, you know, kind of talking about this stuff is not well, was not there in 1973, and yet the psychology is totally there in this film which makes me really appreciate this film more as being kind of an earlier version of that. This guy is totally off his rocker. This guy is totally... Actually, I'm not going to say that. I, I don't want to use the ableist language. This guy is a total fucking misogynist douchebag who is choosing to brutalize women because he can't get laid. He's just, a, he's just a complete sociopath. Well, he's that too, but mm -hmm. that's not the answer. The also, answer is, the he's answer likely, is, but he's not likely. It was Lee's um, a sociopath. Anyway, any, anyway, I've, I've, I've stood on my soapbox long enough. Greg is already uh, writing an angry comment on this, so, um, you know. Yeah, I fell asleep I, five I, times. I made things way too political for this podcast. Lee's going to cut all that out. It's fine. But, uh, oh, no, I'm going to leave it all in. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, you, you bring up some good points. Uh, the killer is definitely looking for excuses. He, he doesn't really need any great excuses. He, he's just doing what he's doing. I think this film also has not only sort of the deeper the deeper sort of message in it that is actually quite surprising to come out of this film, but it also has uh, some pretty good effects. It has some pretty good cinematography in it as well. I think that sequence in the swamp looks especially really good. Yeah, really where, he's good. Stalking, where he's stalking that girl. And just, of course, the shots of, like, the fucking countryside and shit like that, I think, looks really well done. I like so, sort of the... Some of the nuances of sort of the stalk and, and kill scenes as well, like the murder where the, the couple are in the car or whatever, I think that plays out pretty well where the boyfriend runs off to find the guy and then he doubles around and turns off the car lights after she gets out of the car and stuff. I think that sequence is pretty good. I think the sequence... Making love in a tiny little car. Yeah, a very tiny car. I mean, they didn't have much room to fumble <laughs> around in there, but, uh, but fuck. Precision. Uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> they had to get a, they had to get a good rhythm going down there. They had to have a specific spot. But uh, but uh, yeah, and car sex. I, can I just say I've had sex in cars. It's always terrible. <laughs> never, like like it's just a thing. Like if I'm just using my hands and just getting somebody off, it's fine. But like actually trying to mount somebody, like I'm a big guy, like actually trying to get the angles right and like actually make it happen, car sex is terrible. Like the point of being an adult is I have a bed that I can go and fuck in. Like that's the whole. <laughs> that's the reason I pay a mortgage is yeah. so I can have sex in a bed. Really. I, like, even so. if I did it, even in a, like a folded down seat Bronco back. I mean, you got room, but it's still uncomfortable. 
It just yeah. is. It's it's just like I need a proper workbench. That's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I'm a master craftsman. I need my tools. I, I and I and I have many tools, both <laughs> those that were given to me by nature and those that I have purchased for my own amusement and for my partner's plural amusement. But at the same time, like in the backseat of a car, like, I've made it work, don't worry. I've had very happy experiences in the backseat of a car, but ultimately, it's just not the best experience. The only people that think it's the greatest thing in their life are people who don't know how to fuck who got laid when they were 16, and congratulations, I'm happy for you, but, like, move on from that experience. You're like the Al Bundy of fucking. That's kind of the, the, the where I live. <laughs> Four touchdowns in one game when I was 17 is the height of my sexual experience. Yeah, that's all I'm. I'm um, and then, the, then there's the uh, going back, <laughs> going back to the sequences I like just for a moment, you know. And, that's and we, that's we the only back. good sequence in the whole film. We can go, we can go back to uncomfortable sex, like in the back of a Volvo or whatever that Kevin Smith joke from Mallrats Volvo? is. Uh, sex in a very uncomfortable place is the joke, but yeah. yeah, I like the whole sequence, which essentially goes for a whole day and a whole night of the, the final girl. She's trapped in the villa, trying to escape from the killer, and the killer is not aware that she's there for most of the time. I think it's done really well. There are a couple unfortunate little shots here and there, a little bit, a few imperfections where you see the girl still breathing even when they're being yeah. that. Kind of okay. I can I can ignore that. I can get past that because it's been done so well. But and then of course also there's that uh, great scene where the uh, street vendor there gets his head crushed by the fucking car. Oh yeah. yeah although yeah, no. although unfortunately they go back to the seat showing him and it's like oh wait his head isn't pulped like a fucking watermelon. Oh right. okay. <laughs> let's let's forget that. Let's just move on. But uh, I think it works pretty well. Of course this is like we said before. It's 1973. It's pre. Uh, slasher genre conventions, so you really don't have the idea of a final girl that really became more prominent in the 80s. So, of course, uh, she doesn't end up fighting the killer herself. She ends up being saved by the dude. And, yeah, I really do like this film quite a bit, especially after this last time watching it. I've, I got a lot more enjoyment out of it. I actually picked up on quite a few more things than I did initially. I will point out that this one is essentially uh, one that was chopped up as well. It wasn't chopped up as bad as a lot of these films, uh, but the restored... Yeah, the, the restored version of this on DVD, you get a Blue Underground, you can get it uh, DVD and Blu-ray at this point. The English version did have some parts cut out, and of course those parts were not dubbed in English, and so if you get the full uncut version now, you are going to get some scenes in this that have Italian in them. There's not a lot in there that was taken out, though, so there's only a couple scenes that have Italian with English subtitles. Uh, there was an alternate ending with the killer surviving, apparently shot, but uh, I don't think it was ever used or shown anywhere. During the production of this film, and this is kind of interesting, this is sort of a thing that you see a lot more these days when they do, especially on TV shows and stuff like that. Uh, during production, none of the cast were told who the killer was. Uh, so it was supposed to it was supposed to sort of ramp up the tension and make the uh, actors act a little bit more naturally to uh, the idea that, no one knew who the killer was, and I think it is pretty effectively done. I think the red herring thing here is much more engaging than, say, in, like, Bay of Blood, where it's just like, okay, can we just get to whoever the fucking killer is at this point and get it over with? Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, it turns out there's, like, multiple killers in that one, but, but yeah, I, I, think, I think the sort of mystery element still works, so it still works as a sort of basic giallo, 
but it also works as a really good slasher film, and it also works as a you know with a lot of interesting subtext as well. It sort of comes out if you if you if you choose to watch it and get that deep into it. So I do remember laughing my butt off when the killer took the uh, steam out of the the heroes, uh, saving her after he like, I'll jump on you, then I'm gonna kick you through a stained glass window. It's got one of those. Yeah, like, or, or right through the door, the the big glass panel door. I'm like, oh yeah, good save. It's got one of those great Italian fights that you see throughout every sort of Italian film genre, from like spaghetti westerns to this, where they're just doing all these outlandish fucking fighting moves. Like at one point, the uh, the doctor character there, he does a drop kick on the fucking killer, yeah. like complete WWF ninja fighting, <laughs> right. Right through stained glass of uh, panel glass doors and everything. I do like the scene right at the end where you think the, it looks like the killer's coming back, yeah, and then it turns out to be the boyfriend. That kind of they could have misted that scene up a little bit. I think a little foggy, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, to kind of blend it in a little bit more. But other than that, I thought it was pretty well done. Yeah, because the killer's not wearing like the traditional like trench coat and stuff. He's wearing like a sort of a jumper or sweater kind of thing going yeah. on. So, so, and of course the hero is also wearing that, so when he's coming out of the shadows there, it kind of makes it look like he, oh shit, the killer's coming, and yeah. So yeah, there's even good tension right to the, right to like the last couple even, of minutes. Even though, even though the Italian version of Fred from Scooby-Doo is actually not the killer, I have mm. a little thing, never trust a man that wears a scarf. The end. It's probably a good idea, yeah. It's a good any, idea. It's any man in an ascot is a potential killer. Yeah, yeah. Ascot, <laughs> like, stay away from art history uh, people and stay away from ascot wearers. That's basically it. And uh, try not to isolate yourself in villas, cabins, you know, uh, well, porn shops is okay, but like other places. So let's let's face it. Uh, even they, even Walmart at three a.m. is a little scary. So be well, careful. Well, if they're wearing an ascot, you're probably Lucky at that point because well, they're wearing well, anything. Well, if you if you're if you're a woman in like Western society or any society, you're probably worried about like the dudes around you. That's just the reality of it. So you know. Mm-hmm. And remember, people: only men are sexist, and only white men are racist. So just make sure you know that, and you'll be really well bred for life. Just watch out, folks. I, I I would broadly agree with that statement. Actually, you completely agree with that. See, I like yeah. that. There you go. I think I think what we need to do is we need to we need to discuss do the right thing at some point. BP. Uh, Be prepared. Yeah, we're good. Be prepared. I think uh, Daphne from Scooby Doo. She has a very uh, dire fate in, in their future, and who cares? Because Velma was the hotter <laughs> one anyway. Oh, Velma's so the hot one. Absolutely. All right, so you know, uh, you know she's she's hiding some major knockers under that sweater. She just is, and she's probably and she's the more intellectual one. So anyway, she's probably a lot more kinky than uh, hey, than Daphne. brains are hot, brains are hot. And if she's um, desperate, she'll know you. She'll you know she'll take it in the ass. So that's good too. <laughs> Little fudge back and never hurt anybody. All right, so can we get some final thoughts here before this really falls apart? <laughs> I, I completely I, forgot I, what we were talking I think, about. I, th- I think this is elevating. I don't. I don't think this is falling apart at all. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I, I, as I said, I'm so sad that I couldn't watch it again because I actually really did want to watch this film again. Well, one because I wanted more to talk about, but it's been a while, long time since I've seen it, and unfortunately, um, I have to go by memory. But I remember it being a damn fine film. And one of the nicest, um, 
less known genres in the giallo because uh, honestly, as far as I know, torso is one most people don't really talk about. No, I don't think they do. Honestly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, yeah, Daniel. I, uh, I this is uh, not only my favorite of the giallos that we talked about during this series, and uh, my favorite giallo I've seen because I've pretty much only seen the ones that we talked about. Uh, so call me ignorant, whatever. But uh, I really like this film. But uh, I also like it of all of the films that we talked about even during the Slasher series. Just Before Dawn might edge it out for me because like, I really liked that one. But this is right yeah. up there for that. Like I really, really like this film a lot. And this is one I would actually consider like buying and owning on DVD at, at some point, yeah. which, uh, which is... High praise for me for a film like this because I, I don't really care for the genre. But, yeah, I, I thought this was really interesting, and I, I think that it's uh, one that I, I think there is a lot to mine in um, that I really only even touched on. And I might write a piece about it at some point, and if so, then I'll uh, send it to Lee, you know? Who does, who does the DVD releases? Because obviously I need one. It's Blue Underground. Uh, I think okay. I think also uh, I think Arrow released this as well because... Uh, um, or not Arrow, um, Anchor Bay. Uh, most of Anchor Bay's stuff has been sort of ported over to Blue Underground at some point. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, look for the Blue Underground. Uh, the I, th- I believe the Blu-ray has both the European and the original U.S. versions on it, mm-hmm. uh, from what I recall. Uh, if you just get the standard DVD release, you just get the full uncut version in English with the Italian parts added in that didn't have the English dubbing. So, okay. Um, but uh, you you can I think you can find the DVD version pretty cheap now, Region One. So mm-hmm. that probably be your best bet unless you have a D, uh, Blu-ray player. So yeah. It'd be nice too because the copy that I have came came from Germany, so I don't exactly know what copy I have, so I don't know what's cut out and what's not. So there might be whole sections of the film that I actually missed. So uh, Daniel, uh, tell us about your Doctor Who podcast. Nobody wants to listen to my Doctor Who podcast, but it's fine. Uh, I'll talk about it anyway. <laughs> uh, you can go to oispacefan.lipson.com and you can uh, listen to my uh, Doctor Who podcast if you want to listen to me talk about a fifty-two-year-old TV show through the context of uh, intersectional feminism and sexy things happening and uh, leftist politics. We do a lot of that. We're uncomfortably political. We're overtly militant. In fact, in the most recent episode, we even played clips where people accused us of that, which is great. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> and I do that with my wife. Uh, you didn't listen to the most recent one, Lee? I haven't, I haven't heard the recent one yet, no. Yeah, no, no. Uh, we played a clip where um, basically there was another podcast that was talking about us and it's like a dude goes, yeah, 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 I listen to that. It's pretty good. Um, yeah, they get they get a little more political than I get, but um, yeah, it's pretty good. And uh, I kind of I kind of like that response. And I that's try, a, to, that's I try that's to a compliment. I try yeah. to bring that here. If if uh, if I'm gonna get criticism, and I am, then being a little bit too uncomfortably political is the criticism I would like to get. And yeah. that's the philosophy I bring. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're watching Doctor Who and you're not already listening to my podcast, which I don't know why you wouldn't be, then um, listen to my podcast. Right on. Cool. And uh, where can we find you on the internet there, Paul? I'll echo Daniel with No One Gives a Shit, but it's P.A. <laughs> Brew News on YouTube and P.A. Brew News on Facebook for beer reviews and whatnot. 
and uh, uh, Funeral Dust 666 on YouTube for some underground black metal. Um, if anyone randomly wants to know, I'm going to be popping up a series of mass rocket heater building on my PA Brew News site if anyone wants to check that out to maybe put one in their homes or something like that. But that's all that's going on with me right now. All right, cool. You don't want to plug your um, uh, your uh, craft uh, stuff? You, you can do that if, if you want, your your paintings and your wife's jewelry. Oh, yeah, okay, yep. Yeah. Uh, if you want to check out some uh, jewelry, knitting, and paintings that we're doing right now, you could buy online or whatnot. Just contact us. Check us out on Facebook at Back Mountain Arts and Crafts. All right, there you go. cool. All right, and you can get the rest of our sort of contact app, uh, info and stuff like that on uh, our little message in the back will tell you where to go, and you'll find some podcasts of similar interests and all kinds of good stuff, comments, questions, suggestions for movies to review and all that stuff are definitely welcome. Uh, next month is going to be sort of a grab, grab bag sort of month of uh, stuff. Uh, I believe we're going to do, uh, if we can arrange uh, it, we're going to do a couple uh, Mel Brooks films. We're going to do Zardos, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, I believe we're going to do a couple of uh, Daniel's picks as well. I can't remember. Last episode we talked about it. I can't remember the fucking name of the film at this point. Oh, um, Punch Drunk Love. We were going to do Punch Drunk Love, I think. So we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make Paul come on and do Punch Drunk Love with us. No, we're not going to do that at all. <laughs> and there, uh, there, there is there is blood in that film. There is like somebody like bleeds in that film. So well, Paul get, might be interested for that. Well, get, well, I think the, I think. I think the one we can get Paul on is uh, Vampires, Lesbos, or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no. What well, the the uh, the Franco film? I think it is. It, I think it's a German. It's a, one, it's but... a German. It's a it's a German film from the '60s called mm-hmm. Vampiros Lesbos, which uh, I was reading an article on Bitch Magazine talking about uh, vampire lesbians, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this," and then it has this like three minute. Uh, total lesbian sequence in the middle, and I'm like, lesbian sequence, black and white, German expressionist film from the 60s. I don't have to see a frame of footage. I'm there. I Can actually, Can we do uh, this on the podcast? I'm there. Let's I do actually this. remember seeing the Vampire Lesbos uh, article in a thing in uh, in Club Magazine back in the early 90s. Nice. So in an adult entertainment magazine, they articled that film to watch. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm with you. I'm with you. Right on. Right on. So that's going to be that. Uh, next week is going to be, we're going to be off on vacation, all of us. Well, I'm going to have an official vacation. These two are still going to do their day-to-day shit, but they're not going to podcast next week. And it's going to be a very special episode. I'm not going to tell anyone what it is until it comes up. It's going to be a nice surprise, uh, I think. I think it's turning out very well. It might be a total disaster, but we'll see. But uh, next week's going to be a special Halloween episode. It will come up a day before Halloween. Uh, so everyone will have a chance to see it, and it's supposed to be enjoyed during Halloween, if indeed you're having, like, a Halloween party or something along those lines. So that's all I'm going to say about it. Uh, but until then, uh, thank you guys for joining us, uh, joining me, and uh, we'll see you guys and all later. Joining Lee and these two assholes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Goodbye, people. Bye-bye. Cheers.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For our other episodes, links to Daniel, Paul, and Lee's other stuff, and links to some great podcasts of similar interest, visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can leave us comments on the site or directly email us. We listen and respond to everything. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>